Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you for our penultimate Oscars review for 2023. I was going to come into this episode and just not say anything because it's all quiet on the Western Front. (laughs) Yeah, that definitely deserves one of those. Uh, It's German, so it's all quiet on the Western Front. Well, in all fairness, it... Exactly, it's German, so the humour wasn't there. Um, <laughs> it is a, a war movie, and these are generally up every second year at the Oscars, aren't they? It's like, oh, war movie, have a Best Picture nomination. But uh, I'm still excited to talk about this because, in all fairness, this is getting a lot of love, and uh, this is actually a, a real smoky potentially, uh, to take out some awards and everything along those lines. So I'm excited to talk about it. My name is Ben, and pew, 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 yes, I'm German, shoot, shoot, shoot. <laughs> There's no um, quotes in this movie. What is it? I, I don't like one. the war. Uh, <laughs> I, got, I got one. I had to read it on my subtitles, though. Uh, my name is Colin, and if you die before me, I'll kill you. I mean, we're, we're meant to be John Cleese. Don't mention the war. I think I mentioned it once, but I got away <laughs> with it. Best line ever from Faulty Towers. You started it. No, you didn't. You did. You invaded Poland. <laughs> um... I like this movie. I mean, it's it's a war movie. Uh, I think, as I mentioned yesterday, generally, I don't think I've ever seen a war movie where I'm going, oh, that's shit. Uh, war movies are war movies. Um, I, you know, they're, they're solid. This has got a, a bit more of, I guess, a message. War is bad. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are saying like, oh, this is, you know, talking about the Ukraine crisis, which, I mean, just war is bad. Simple. Like, I think I mean, they had filmed this movie long before that <laughs> happened, but okay. <laughs> people are like out there going like, oh, this is commenting on Ukraine. But like, I mean, <laughs> war is bad. Simple. Uh, war, man. It's bad. Peace. <laughs> uh, what is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Um, but I like, I actually like the premise of this, that this is from the perspective of the Germans. Now, I'm not here sitting here going like, yay, Germany in the wars. But like, first of all, I'm a Germany fan modern times. Uh, (laughs) I have a tattoo from a German athlete and it's always been a country that I've always wanted to go to and and been a bit fascinated by. But it's sort of one of those ones where generally if you're doing a movie about them in the war, it's like, oh, he's downfall. This is what's happened to Hitler. Like it's, it's, you know, it's never really a, I wouldn't say this is a positive movie, but like I just, I found it fascinating that this was from the perspective of the Germans because yeah, okay, this isn't Nazi Germany in World War II, but the Germans were still technically the bad guys in the First World War as well. So it's kind of interesting that we're sort of rooting for the Germans and, you know, when they're fighting, I mean, they're only killing the French, let's be honest, that's fine. But um, it's, 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 I just found that unique. And I, we mentioned this yesterday, I watched the dubbed version and again, I just, it's what I got. 
I didn't go out of my way to go, oh, I want to watch the true German one. I didn't want to read. But um, I still think like the dubbing was good enough that, yeah, you kind of, you're looking in their lips. It didn't work that well. But I don't know. It was just interesting. It's It, it wasn't mind-blowingly like, wow, this war film wasn't 1917 to me. And I'd maybe argue Dunkirk was probably also better as well. But this was still a solid, entertaining, good film. First, to poke holes in, this is a commentary on Ukraine. Uh, This movie filmed a year before the Ukraine war started. They knew. (laughs) They knew. They knew a year ahead of time. They (laughs) they started it. Uh, It was uh, the the filmmakers that started the Ukraine war. Uh, But, uh, yeah, like, I I kind of agree with you. I think that, that there's things that I pinpointed throughout this movie where it doesn't work. But yet... I can't, I can't, I guess, look down on the movie in any way because everything here is spectacular and everything is executed so well. Uh, for a bit of history, you know, this is a famous book, a German book yeah. that's been adapted I actually heard twice. of the book. I, that's when when yeah. I heard this movie was nominated. Pretty I, like, famous. Has it been made into a film before? Because I, I'm it, pretty sure yeah. I'd like heard of this as a movie before. It, it actually, I believe it won Best Picture in 1930. Right. Um, the original All Quiet on the Western Front, yeah, it was 1930. So Americans making a German film, and it wasn't like they Americanized it either. They made it just American actors playing Germans or whatever. Um, so it, actually, it it won Best Director, uh, I guess. Uh, and, and no, it was called Outstanding Production at that point. So yeah, this won Picture and Director in 1930. It was also made uh, in it, 1979 as well. Yeah, they made a miniseries in 79. And yeah. what's funny is that I saw the original All Quiet on the Western Front, which to me, this didn't seem as similar. Like, I don't remember. I watched through all the Best Picture nominated movies. I don't know. It was like 2015, maybe. When you weren't married. (laughs) I was married, but no children. (laughs) Um, And I watched through like entire year. I watched through all at that point. I don't know, like 80, 90 Best Picture nominated films. And uh, Good for you. Is that back when we used to record like eight-hour episodes of Survivor? I was ranking players when you didn't have a life. Oh, oh what a yeah! I think that was in, in between that and Double Oz Seven. Good memory. Movie recaps. Oh. But uh, yeah, this to me it didn't seem as similar from what I remembered of the original one. And I I looked up. This seems to be very faithful to the book. The original American version, not quite so much. I didn't look up much about the miniseries, but. All I could think about, and this is before I really knew that they had a miniseries, all I could think while I was watching this, I'm like, something about this movie just doesn't work as a movie. It's great. It is incredible to to watch. It's incredible to look at. It's powerful. All the dramatic moments hit, but it just feels like it's too much to be contained in a movie like this because we're not following a story. It's not like Dunkirk 1917 where it's taking place over a very short period of time. Dunkirk's in like one day. I mean, some of the stories are in like, you know, one hour, I guess the way that the whole Christopher Nolan timeline works. Uh, and then 1917 is basically one day, but uh, a single shot. This is like, let's cover the majority of the war. And we've only got a couple characters, but it's not like there's an, a, a story that ties it from beginning to end. It's just, let's go through this sequence, this, this experience. And it to me, this felt like, wow, I think this would just work so much better if you made this, I don't know, a six-part miniseries mm. and you could expand on a little bit. But it's not to take away anything from the movie. Like, there were moments in this movie where I'm like, I'm like wow, how did they pull this off? And, and even just the talking scenes, like there's a scene where the guy's reading a letter to the other guy. And I'm like, man, what a powerful scene. But it's just missing a little bit more of like, it, it needs to be expanded. I didn't want a three-hour version of this or a four-hour version. I don't want the Snyder cut of this. Um, but I think that it just, it would be better suited for a different medium than just a movie. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think that I, did I read that the, the, the difference with this version is that 
they added sort of the whole German surrender part. That that Daniel Brill part, yeah. That's not in the book, basically. Um, which again is interesting. Um, but like I will say, of all these movies that are two and a half hours long, like this is a war movie. Generally, is one like, hey, you can understand why a war movie would be a bit longer. Yeah. Um, but it would be interesting, maybe. Are we going to get the all quiet on the Western Front cinematic universe? You know, the uh, <laughs> AQWFCU um, moving forward. But Oh, and then, then you get the multiverse version, all quiet on the Eastern Front. <laughs> <laughs> and followed by all quiet on the Northern Front and all quiet on the Southern <laughs> Front. Um, everything everywhere, all on the compass. Um <laughs> <laughs> but like you're right like it's i mean it always is fascinating i guess in any war films how they put these together because like you know we're, we're used to seeing special effects and all this kind of stuff obviously we just talked about quantum mania and that's basically just 90 percent green screen but for the most part war films always generally feel like they do them legit and yeah. obviously there are special effects in this film i'm not saying this is all completely practical but you're not going to see them in a green screen trench <laughs> Yeah, you know, her like ah, and then just like green screen French people. Bonjour, I'm going to shoot you in the dick. Um, <laughs> that's my quote. That's what I should have. You know, <laughs> oh, I'm going to shoot you in the panini. Uh, the panini. Um, but panini. I think that's where things like look so visually spectacular and really, really good. I'm glad. I mean, we mentioned Daniel Brühl yesterday. What a man. Um, oh. you know, he's in this movie basically being the German to. Isn't it? Like, is it weird, funny that we sympathize with the Germans in a war movie? It's just not common. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I mean, World War One is obviously very different from World War Two, but uh, I think the point of this movie is it is told from the point of view of the soldiers. And um, mm. you, you can't fault these soldiers in any way. I mean, that that's really the point of all war. I mean, if you look at World War Two, Saving Private Ryan has scenes where, you know, there there are Germans who are surrendering and then the Americans shoot them, you know? Uh, so we get that this the movie soldiers like are, the French, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, really, the entire final sequence of this movie, you're just like, why is anybody doing this? You know. Uh, but the the point of this movie is more so just about the horrors of war. And I think there's a lot of movies like that. You mentioned the Thin Red Line yesterday. To me, this felt very similar to the Thin Red Line, where it wasn't so much like you know, a linear story. It's let's show you these events. Let's really make it very grounded in reality. And and but it, it's not so. I guess so graphic and so disturbing that you're turned off like the sequences you're watching you're like wow this is sad but they the director manages to pull it off in a way where it, it's not like you you walk away feeling depressed like man i i want to daniel craig and slip my wrists if i ever have to watch this movie again yeah, it's a solid point because yeah generally war movies will go out of their way often to be graphic and like this is why war is bad because this i mean there is a couple of bits in this movie where there's maybe a limb missing or a headshot things like that it's not like it's without violence but I'd argue Triangle of Sadness is a little bit more disturbing and a bit queasy yeah. than than this is. But I, I want to talk about the main guy because, like, obviously Daniel Brawl, you know, great, and he's kind of the, the star that people would know. But the main guy in this film, Felix Kammerer, um, an Austrian actor. This was his debut. This was his uh, film debut. Pretty good. Was it the same with, I thought 1917 was the same thing. Like, they got a complete unknown. So. And he's gone on to a few more things now, hasn't he, as well? Like, He's not going to, and no pun intended in a war movie, blow you away. But, like, I don't think this is a movie where you're meant to fully focus on one person. You know, this is an ensemble cast. As you said, you focus on the soldiers. There's a lot of different plot lines going on with that. And then even the, you know, Daniel Brühl storyline 
in the sort of the war room. Like you've sort of got the main guy here and he's, he's kind of like an older general or an older sort of captain that he sort of hangs out with at the end. And there's obviously tragedy involved in this story, particularly in the closing mm-hmm. moments, sort of the closing of the war and the seconds before the sort of the treaty is signed and the, the guns are got to go down. But I don't know. Like, did you, I, I like this guy, Felix Kamara. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, 27-year-old from Austria, literally in his very first film. Yeah, um, I mean, this is kind of what you look for in a war movie. You're not looking for somebody who's going to blow you away. You're looking to blow you away. It's <laughs> still, still funny to me. Uh, people are dying. Ha, ha, war, ha, but but like you're looking for somebody you could just sympathize with, and that's what works with I, I guess both of the leads, both him and uh, the other guy, um, uh, I guess the, the more elder officer, the guy who can't uh, mustache. Let's call him mustache. Is that Alb Albrecht Schuch? Yeah, so Cat was his character. Yeah, Albrecht Schuch. Yeah. Um, I mean, both these guys, what where they really pull it off is that they make you sympathize with them, and you don't worry about which side of the honor or anything. I mean, even with Daniel Bruhl, I think what's interesting about his scenes because he only has a couple of scenes in this movie and yeah. at times it did kind of pull me out of the movie i'm like you know this that's an example of where it's like this might have worked in a miniseries better because it, it almost feels like well why are we following the story but then you you get why in the final scene uh, like even some of the higher up people kind of don't have a say in you know how these things go you you sympathize with him not necessarily saying well they're not bad because of this but like his stuff comes down to the negotiations how are we going to end this war and ultimately, it ends up being this guy has no power at all. He's like, uh, yes, whatever you say, sir. Yes, sir. So you almost feel for him, too. And the fact that they just pick these soldiers and you have three actors that you sympathize with. But yet at no point do you walk away from the movie feeling like, well, you're sympathizing. They, they don't even bother to explore the politics of why this war is going on. And I think that's kind of why even the book All Quiet on the Western Front has become so famous, you know, even outside of the movies that there have been of it is because it's depicting war in a way where it's like, I'm not supposed to sympathize with the people, but I do. Speaking of famous, props to Brendan Fraser. And yes. if there was any man who was going to win a war, it would be him. He would just <laughs> walk out there and be like, Ukraine, Russia, I'm Brendan Fraser. And like, I'll oh, put your guns down. He's an, he's an international treasure. Don't shoot Brendan. <laughs> it's, I think you kind of alluded to there before about you know, depictions of the enemy in different movies and even if they surrender this. I think no matter what war, there's two sides to every war and there are obviously perceived good guys and bad guys and we're in a part of the world, we're both in the Western world where, you know, we're generally allies. So obviously the positive depictions of the Western ally nations are always going to be the cinemas we're seeing. I'm not here saying that, Again, I'm saying this from a an Australian perspective on the the view I've been taught in history of the Germans in the war. I'm not here defending the Nazis, but like what I'm saying is like that there were still young soldiers who went to fight for Nazi Germany in World War Two who were just doing yeah. their thing, and they went through tragedies and they had to see these horrors of war and everything like that. So I like the fact that you've kind of got this depiction of our perceived enemy. And you see this that you, yeah, it's it's that that net commentary of war being bad. Even right now with Russia and Ukraine, yes, on the grand scheme of things, we are being in a part of the world where it's the well, the majority of the world is being depicted that Russia are the bad guys, Ukraine are the good guys. Support Ukraine, fantastic. But like, I'm sure there are young Russian soldiers who are just doing their duty because that's what they signed up for. They might not agree with what they're doing, but that's what they're doing, and they're dying and facing atrocities based yeah. on what is happening. Again, that's not me saying. Go Russia. It's just that is the logistics of wars and things like this 
that happens. Even after 9-11, bring it up. It's going to be there. When America like went and retaliated, there were innocent people in that part of the world who were killed. There were soldiers for those armies. Ben goes on a political rant. It had to happen eventually. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is it is a movie like this that does portray that because I'm sure mm-hmm. that if some people are going like, oh, Team Germany in the war, like I'm not watching this. But like that's the point of this film is to show how bad war is no matter what side you are on, even if you are the perceived bad guys. And really, the only sequence in this that comes down to, well, they're maybe doing that. These soldiers are having to do the wrong thing, whether they agree with it or not, is is at the end. But you still feel for them because, like, we know that we shouldn't be doing this, but what choice do we have, There's, you know? Yeah. But, you know, what's interesting to me is that so much of this movie is just about them having to survive the war. Mm. And you see their excitement with, hey, if we can get a chicken, you know, how yeah. much is this going to make our life? To me, one of the most powerful scenes in the entire movie is where these young soldiers show up in the trenches on the first day and they're basically in tears. Like, I want to go home and no bullet has been fired. It's just the conditions there. It's it's the fact they're drenched in water and having to bail things out with helmets. And then when the attacks start, you you already are so sad for these guys because of how miserable they are and they haven't seen any combat. And then the combat starts. You're like, how are any of these guys going to survive? And it's always that thing that whenever you learn about the wars and you learn about see history it's like like we're both young men well you're old but like we were young men at one point but like like at no point would i have ever gone fuck yeah i'm joining the army to go fight in iraq what an adventure like i'm like fuck off no i'm a i'm a wimp and i just that's i'm not brave enough and i respect those people that do that but like a hundred years ago you know that was an adventure right like you know that's why a lot of these people signed up and did their duty and everything like it it always baffles me to think like why you would go through that mindset but it was obviously different times back then different than that so then to see this situation when then they're faced with what they're seeing and this isn't the first movie to do this of course and it's not going to be the last movie to do yeah. this but it's kind of always that level of you see it i mean and there are some very powerful scenes there's, there's sort of there's that scene towards the end where you've basically got this one-on-one situation between, um, you know, the main guy and then this French soldier, which is just sort of, they're in like this hole in the ground and it's just kind of this mm. level of, you sort of questioning like, why are these two people doing what they're doing? But again, it just comes down to the perceived enemy of it, right? Like, I mean, oh, it's yeah. a French soldier. The French is going to listen to German soldier. We have to like do what we need to do. And there's just kind of this moment that goes on maybe for five, 10 minutes between these two. And it's, almost in all silence and it's just like fuck like it's just and you think about those situations that these you know soldiers had to go through to to do that based purely on the fact that hey we're enemies no matter what happens i'm gonna have to try and kill you yeah yeah and uh i mean that, that's very similar to a couple of months of saving private ryan i don't know if you uh, remember that movie a long time since well. i've seen it very long time like there's a scene in that where you know somebody is basically killing somebody at the end and they're comforting them while they're killing them. You know, you, yeah. I, I like when you can get scenes like that where it's like, okay, we don't really have a choice in this. I mean, another scene in Saving Private Ryan where they, it's all about, should we choose to let this guy go even though he's the enemy because he hasn't done anything wrong? And it's like, well, is this going to come back to bite us later on? Um, I mean, that's the thing is that there are so many sequences in this movie where it's like, wow, what a great scene. But I just, I have a hard time viewing it as as being pulled together as a full story. Like, and I don't know, maybe, maybe if I watched it again, I would feel differently, but it almost felt incomplete to me in a way where you're telling a story that covers the entire war and your sequences are as long as they are in this movie. This isn't like, we're going to have 
a two minute long scene. Then we're going to jump forward another two minute long scene. I mean, there's maybe a dozen sequences in two and a half hours. Like the scenes are long, but it, it never quite feels like one full story to me. And it, maybe part of that is I don't feel like you, we get to know the characters maybe as much as we should. And maybe that's actually a better thing. I'm like, I, I'm just sort of speculating. Is there a way that this movie could have been done differently where I would have enjoyed it more? And some of my speculation is like, well, maybe it would have worked and maybe it wouldn't have. But like something about this to me, as great as it was, and as much as my my jaw was dropped at parts watching this, like I don't necessarily walk away from this feeling like, wow, that's one of the greatest war movies I've ever seen. Do you think, though, that there's that ability that if you were to adapt this into a miniseries or make it longer or whatever, that you can go too far, though? Like, I mean, like I definitely see what you're saying mm-hmm. and I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, I'm not itching out for more, like weird comparison but it also fits in the same way we're about to do australia new zealand month you'll watch tomorrow when the war began the film version of the book series and essentially that we'll talk about this obviously more next month but they were planning on making this a, a film franchise never got off the ground so several years later they then made a mini series of it and i think it was a six episode mini series and that the issue with that is they added stuff that wasn't in the book and they went too far and it just to me it made it like drag on it's like well we don't need to They've, they've lost the point of the book to why we didn't focus on this side of these characters. So that's where kind of like I would look at it as you might go too far, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm, maybe there's a middle ground somewhere. I mean, maybe you you don't include the Daniel Brühl stuff. As great as some of those scenes were, that's part of where I, I'm not going to say checked out of the movie, where I'm like, what am I watching now? Like, this doesn't feel connected... The, the only way that those really connect together is for the final sequence. And I don't know whether you absolutely needed that for the final sequence. And maybe maybe the other part is, I don't know, just, just uh, condense it a little bit more. Maybe you don't have to expand this, but maybe just condense it so that the sequences aren't necessarily as long, but you can add one or two brief moments in here or there. I, as much as I like the Daniel Brule stuff, like, yeah, kind of remove it. Because like we've talked a lot about disaster films sometimes that can work better is when you maybe don't necessarily see the behind the scenes stuff like it was greenland wasn't it where it was just purely from the survivor's perspective or um yeah uh sky skyline whatever sky the the um fucking the, the alien one yeah, yeah you know the one i'm talking about yeah skyline yeah. um and like cloverfield like just famously told purely from the survival perspective with maybe oh we're going to turn on the tv every now and then to see an update like those kind of add something to it a little bit more Mm-hmm. So, and that was 1917, wasn't it? That was just basically him running around yeah. and going from point to point, learning things through Benedict Cumberbatch and that when he could. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, maybe that's that, but I don't know. I don't think anybody's like itching at the bit to see more of this. I mean, it's a war film. Yeah. It's, you know, it, war films never really get sequels. I mean, is there 1918 coming out? Saving Private uh, Meg. Uh, Ryan, no. Saving Private Ryan Jr. Well, they had Ryan, so Meg Ryan, huh? get the joke. Um, oh, that's a it. German joke, everyone. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was just going to say, this has nothing really to do with this movie other than the fact that he was in it. But like you mentioned Daniel Brühl and almost getting an interview. Cause I, I think I mentioned this on a past episode. Even before he did Rush or the Marvel movies, I was a huge Daniel Brühl fan because I think it was, it was his debut movie was a German movie um, it was called Goodbye Lenin, and it was basically him. That, that's a movie like I, I, you would read subtitles to watch this movie. It's like a kid whose mother has been in a coma and doesn't realize that the Berlin Wall has fallen, hmm. and she's very loyal to communism. So he has to figure out a way to fake it as if it's still going on because the shock would basically kill her. 
and he's doing fake newscasts and stuff like that. It's, it's such a great movie, but I always love Daniel Bruhl and I just wait for him to break through. I know he did like one of the Bourne movies and everything, uh, but uh, this guy, I, I hope one day he actually becomes as big of a star as he, he really deserves to be because he's such an incredible actor. I mean, that Rush movie, he he's the guy who got Oscar buzz for that movie and, gotta, and yeah. arguably... I was. Gonna... I don't. I don't know whether that movie. You know, I would say that deserved a Best Picture nomination. But like, I watched that movie. I'm like, man, where was Daniel Bruhl's Oscar nomination? I was gonna say. I'm pretty sure he got a Golden Globe nomination for that. But um, I think he was absolutely robbed for an Oscar one. Um, and I mean, like, I can't wait to do that movie. I've met the real guy who he plays. Um, so and sadly no longer with us. But um, it's so good and such an accurate um portrayal of him. Like so on the point. Whereas Chris Hemsworth as James Hunt, uh-huh. um, so it's Chris Hemsworth. But like, yeah, I mean, it's just he's so good, and it's sort of. Did you feel a little bit? I don't want to say diminished, but like when he was in, which was he in Falcon and the Winter Soldier? He was in one of the TV shows, and I kind of felt like he was just you know diminished a little bit, you know, because he wasn't amazing compared yeah. to what he was in the actual films of Marvel. Yeah, it looks like it was Falcon Winter Soldier, but I still haven't seen that show. But uh, there's a scene of him dancing in- on a dance floor. As that villain. I've seen the meme of that. Yeah. Uh, but like even in Civil War, I remember being kind of disappointed because like it's not that they they didn't do him justice. I mean, it was just he maybe should have been like the ultimate villain in that. And his role was even a little bit too small compared to what, uh, what he had in that movie. Is Yeah. I mean, he's so good, though. And I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how long it's been since he's done a German movie either. I mean, it's cool when you get these actors who go back to their native country to kind of lend their star power. I mean, um, Guy Pierce, I guess, is famous for that. He'll just choose every couple of years to go back and do an Australian movie. But, and Neighbours. Uh, <laughs> it's neighbors, getting cancelled. Yeah. I'm back. Oh, guess what? It's back. Ah, fuck. <laughs> Wasted that. Uh, but yeah, Daniel Brule is fantastic. Let's get an interview with him now. Oh, yeah. I'd love to. Love to try and still get him on the show. He's got nominated for nine Oscars, so this equal with Banshees of, of Ed Sheeran and second highest overall. And I think there's one that's definitely going to win. Uh, but uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, Best Picture, which, again, it's it picked up, was it BAFTAs? I think it got a few awards and there was another one that got a couple. So actually like a real smoky that this could win Best Picture. Like this is being talked about as a potential one that could all of a sudden come out of nowhere to win it. So this isn't completely out of the realms of possibility that it could win Best Picture. No acting awards for this one. Is this the only one that didn't get any? Well, I guess Top Gun didn't and Avatar didn't. But, I mean, outside of those... Is this the only one that didn't get any acting nominations? I think it might I think be. So, yeah. Um, oh, but, Women Talking didn't. Oh, thank fuck for that. Um, <laughs> best adapted screenplay. I mean, I don't know. That's a tricky one. Um, I mean, obviously we talked about Top Gun and Women Talking, but I don't know what Living is. Um, and that's a Bill Nye movie, isn't it? Okay, that's and then Nye, yeah. and then Glass Onion. <laughs> Do we want Ryan Johnson winning an Oscar? Um, <laughs> I don't want to live in a world where Glenn Close has never won an Oscar and Ryan Johnson has. All right. I know Glenn Close did 101 Dalmatians, but she was great as Cruella. Ryan Johnson did The Last Jedi. Fuck off. And fly. Fuck off. Um, so, um, but yeah, I don't know. This could well, have a chance in that category, potentially. It's going to win Best International Feature Film. We know that. Lock it in yeah, right now, Eddie. Best Original Score. I- eh. Uh, best sound. I, you know, I was gonna say score was one of the ones that I think it might potentially win because it doesn't have like wall to wall music. Mm. But every once in a while, when the music kicks in, I'm like, whoa! Like <laughs> this sounds like something out of the Dark Knight. Like that's powerful. Best sound. War movies, I guess, always have a shout in those. Um, yeah. Production design. Yeah, maybe cinematography. Yeah, could be up there. I think for sure. 
Um, best makeup and hairstyling, no. Uh, visual effects, no. But uh, that would be my quick shout on all of those. But it's winning international I... film. Lock it in right now. Yeah, I, t- I don't know why they do this. Like, uh, I remember for a couple of years, they stopped. They're like, okay, if you're eligible for best picture, mm. you're not eligible for this. Like, basically, you had to choose whether you want to submit your film for international or for best picture. Should be animated feature and- as well. Not that there's any animated movies this year, but that should be the same for that as well. Oh, I thought you meant this, this was a lock for animated feature. Oh, yeah. well, no, but God, yeah, absolutely. Another example of that. Yeah, like, because yeah, really, when you're putting down on your ballot what you want to nominate it for, you, you, can choose it on both. They they kind of have to set the rule. Okay, it's eligible for one, not the other. And there's another movie called RRR. Have you heard about that? The Indian action film. <laughs> is, is, is that a um, a pirate movie? RRR. Oh, <laughs> uh, but like I think is that that massive like blockbuster huge yeah. crazy one? I think they did an honest trailer on it. it looks weird, but um, yeah, it looks and, good. Like, and I don't know the reason for it, but there was something about that where it wasn't eligible for international feature. But like, I, I assumed it was like, oh, well, maybe they went up for Best Picture and didn't get it. But like, this is nominated for both, which it just seems like a wasted award that way. I mean, people, they, they expanded to 10 Best Picture nominated movies because they wanted more exposure for movies. They wanted people to tune in in hopes that, oh, we're nominating more movies that you might have watched. So you have a reason to watch. But if you know what's going to win a category, you're not going to go out of your way to watch the other four films. And I'm just putting this out there. Why isn't Elvis nominated for Best International Feature Film? Australian Film <laughs> Awards. If you're giving that all your Australian awards, well, why isn't it nominated for Best International Feature Film from Australia? Because yeah. it's not an Australian film. Well, and I think, do you have to, ha- I don't know whether you have to have it be in a foreign language anymore because it used to be foreign I language film. I think so. I think, I think that's I think why it was they just a branding no, but I, 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 it might just be a branding thing with calling it international feature film now. Because I'm looking at the, the only one here that wouldn't be in a foreign language is this uh, Irish well, from the Fly Girl. But it says it's mostly in Irish. It's mostly yeah. in Look, Irish, I, yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know because um, I thought they did. I thought there wasn't a few English language because I thought there was a UK film. I think there might have even been an Australian film, but maybe it was in an indigenous language. I don't know. I've always thought it should just be international film. Like that was my argument the other year when like, about Parasite. I'm not taking away from Parasite. I don't make him bagging it out. But when I think Noah had the argument about like, oh, we should be honoring more Korean films, that sort of stuff. I was kind of like, well, aren't the Oscars mainly for American films anyway? These are like the American awards. Like they're not the worldwide awards. Like why do we have a best international feature film category if then the best picture? Like, I don't know. Like I maybe, maybe someone can correct me on that. But point is, I think international feature films should feature films in other countries that are in English, like Canada is another country that's on America. If you've got an yeah. English speaking Canadian film, but I also agree with you. I think you should pick one or the other because when Toy Story three is getting nominated for best yeah. feature and it's easily going to win animated, you know, like it might be a bit different if you've got a year where you've got like, you know, if Elvis was then classified as an Australian film that you could go and best. In, and if you've got Elvis and all quiet in the Western front in the, in mm-hmm. the international category, then maybe like, okay, but you're yeah, right. Like there's no, like, there's no way in hell that All Quiet, All Quiet on the Western Front is not winning this category. I would yeah. bet anything on this that it is winning this category. Yeah, that, there's there's one or two other movies in here I've heard of, um, and one that I actually want to check out. This Argentina 1985, that one actually sounded really good, so I want to check that out. Hopefully, before we wrap up tomorrow, but uh, it, it's just it's it doesn't generate any buzz, and yet you know that getting nominated for Best Picture is more buzz than you're going to get than winning Best International Feature. So, I mean, if, if filmmakers are concerned with, well, we could win this one, but we could probably get a lock, it, it's got to be hard for deciding which one you want to go for as well. I know that a lot of Canadian movies go up for the international or 
because it's mostly Quebec films in Canada, we put a lot more money into uh, the, the the French Canadian films than we do anything else. But um, I mean, yes, it's going to win. If it doesn't win, I mean, <laughs> what do you chalk that up to? <laughs> this thing's got nine nominations Righteous, and it's hate the Germans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 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 winning that, but I mean. Just on the fact that, yeah, it's got a bit of a whisper around Best Picture, and I guess this will come tomorrow in our, our predictions. But, I mean, like, do you think, would you would you be completely surprised if this got a sneaky Best Picture win? Mm, I would be shocked. I think that there are too many other movies that are ahead of it at this point. Um, when you get down to what's going to win Best Picture, especially in the last couple of weeks, it, it usually comes down to which movies generate the most buzz. And I don't think that All Quiet on the Western Front's buzz has gone up at all. I do remember there was quite a bit of buzz when it came out. I remember when it was added to Netflix, and I actually meant to check it out when it was first added to Netflix and then somehow forgot about it. But uh, I don't know whether there's a lot of people talking about it now compared to when they were a couple months ago, whereas when you look at, I'd say, most of the other Best Picture on movies, this and the Fablemans are probably the ones that have less chance now than they did when the nominations came out. Well, I mean, we'll probably talk more about this tomorrow in terms of the odds, but Gold Der- Gold Derby, great website. They've got their combined odds. Uh, and if you were to look right now at the best picture, this is fifth. Um, so Top Gun Maverick, fourth. Let's yeah. get excited. But I'm a bit worried here, the fact that Austin Butler's uh, firmed on the favorite for uh, best actor here, which, um, but yeah. Um, but we'll talk more about that tomorrow. So yeah, but I mean, look, I guess it's, you know, Avatar's not winning. Triangle Saddle Saddle's yep. not winning. Women Talking's not winning. Um, yeah. Tar's not winning. Um, yeah, Elvis probably not winning. So, yeah, it's. I would say it's, you know, anyway. But um, buying, renting, binning, what are you doing with this movie? I'm still going to buy it. Um, this is a spectacular movie, uh, and I would probably go out of my way to watch it again. Not necessarily right away. It is heavy at points but not too heavy where you're turned off watching it thin red line is so weird that you know we, i think we both brought that up but that's a movie that i remember watching the first time and being really down on just because like oh i just feel like garbage after watching this movie but then you give it another shot and it improves even more so oh, like, i'd be curious to see yeah well we, we go the opposite direction but um <laughs> uh, but yeah i'd be curious to see whether some of my issues with this movie would change if I did see it again and if it's just maybe caught off guard because it wasn't necessarily what I was expecting. Yeah, I, I think I brought up the same line because I was like, I'm pretty sure I saw that not long after Saving Private Ryan when I was young and didn't like it. But like, I don't think yeah. I've just revisited it since. So I, you know, been a long time. Who's the main person in Thin Red Line? Oh, there's so many. I mean, Sean Penn, um, Adrian Brody. Uh, I mean, I think Sean Penn got top billing and probably has the most screen time, but... Uh, why don't the, the, yeah, like John Travolta, George Clooney were in that movie. Everybody was in that. John Travolta was in that movie? Um, yeah, well, we, and we talked about that because I made the comparison to Todd Field, Beltzer from Twister, and he's basically taken on like similar to the director of The Thin Red Line, Terrence Malick, where he so rarely Jared makes movies Lato's that when he makes a movie, Woody Harrelson's in it. Him. Yeah, oh yeah, I do remember Woody Harrelson. John Cusack, why did uh, I Jim Caviezel. Why did I think Ben Affleck was in that movie? Miranda Otto's in it? Nick Stahl? Nick uh, Nolte. Yeah. Jesus. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm buying it. Um, yeah, I'm probably not going to go out of my way to watch this again. Um, again, of the war ones that we've covered, what, 1917, Dunkirk, and, and this. I like 1917 the best, and probably then Dunkirk, then this, ranking the war films that we've I agree. <laughs> done reviews of. Um, I mean, Dunkirk I saw at the cinema, um, but uh, 
yeah, still an enjoyable film, but in terms of my ranking right now this month, uh, I'm going to have this in sixth. So I'm going to have this above Tar, Avatar, Way of Water, and Women Talking, of course, but below Fableman's, Triangle Sadness, Banshees, Everything, Everywhere, and Top Gun. This one was really hard for me because I feel like I enjoyed this movie and I admire this movie more than my rankings will reflect, but there there was just something about it that just, I don't know how how differently they could have made it where it could have worked more for me. Um, it's it's not going to be that high of mine either. I, I'm kind of debating between this and Tar for my second lowest. Uh, Avatar Way of Water is my lowest, by the way. <laughs> we haven't made that clear enough. Um, while I think that Tar probably works better start to finish as a movie, I think that this probably has more memorable moments that were pulled off in a way where, like I said, my jaw was dropped at points watching this. So I would give this the slight nudge over uh, Tar. So yeah, it would be seventh for me overall. Yes, it would be. We can do math. Now yes. this is still... and women talking is higher for Fuck. me. Like, what? Like you're you need to take your penis off and just <laughs> rescind your manliness. Like I'm gonna watch women talking over men shooting each other. Well, this is a yeah. man's movie, Colin. Men. Hey, there was there was guns and women talking. What's it? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> really, you you skipped the entire last. 15 minutes of the movie. Is that the decision they made? Was it good for them? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking I don't know. Just open fire. (laughs) Do they just go down and kill a bunch of men talking? Like, is it kind of a crossover (laughs) event? Next week on Men Talking, the women talking, shoot them. Women shooting, coming soon to Fox. Um, Tomorrow, last film, plus our Oscar predictions. Elvis... We're back for that. We This is the first one we would have ever covered, like, a long time ago now, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Me? Well, no. July, August. I was back in Australia. So I was, um, yeah, it was around that middle. So, yeah, this was after Top Gun. Yeah. So, uh, oh, you're right. Okay, May was Top Gun. We covered that, of course. But um, I've rewatched it again, and I thoroughly enjoyed it the first time, thoroughly enjoyed it the second time. I, I really do enjoy this movie. So, and I'm very glad it got the nominations it did, because I thought maybe it would get forgotten about in the fray, but here it is. And as much as I will hate to see Brendan Fraser lose, if he loses to Austin Butler, there will be part of me that I at least, because I said this, I said it back on our review episode that he was brilliant and um, should, you know, be in the picture for a Best Picture nomination. Stop talking like Elvis in real life, though, Austin. You're not Elvis. <laughs> but having said that, I think he's brilliant and I'm looking forward to talking about this again tomorrow. Um, this is the one that like, I'm, I'm really glad that we have until tomorrow. Cause I wanted to rewatch this one. It's not like I forget anything or I worry that my opinion will have changed in any way. It's just, there's so many things about this movie that after the months have passed, I'm even more impressed with now just reflecting on it. So I want to see if my opinion matches up with that. Uh, and a lot of that probably just has to do with my disdain for biopics and how much better this did it than almost every other biopic. I would say I've ever seen. I, I mean, I I, I told, said a couple of times, like the Bobby Darren one that Kevin Spacey started and directed was probably the top one for me. I mean, this this might blow that away. And and cinematic. I mean, this is how you make a movie just about a guy singing on stage need to be seen on a big screen. Like yeah. it is so, such a spectacle to watch this. And especially Austin Butler. I mean, I wasn't expecting to 
like him as much as I did. And because I feel like he he goes beyond just doing an impression in this movie. So uh, I'll see whether I have the same feelings on Tom Hanks, though, because <laughs> uh, maybe some issues with him. He got robbed. Like, what was the other one? He, he got was... a Razzie. Did he get a Razzie for this? What was he got a he... Razzie nomination. Oh, did they get removed because, oh, we can't pick on an old person? <laughs> because Shut up, Razzies. Um, what was the other one he did, the the Grumpy Man movie that they talked about him getting nominated oh, for, but he didn't? we saw that. Yeah. Man Called Otto or something. Yeah. That was a really good movie. And uh, it, I, it was pretty generic. It kind of felt like this is something you fit in with, like, pay it forward and as good as it gets very late 90s early 2000s but really enjoyable movie gotta say he Tom Hanks for a while there was kind of like the male Mel Streep like no matter what he's in he gets nominated but he's been robbed a few times old Tom in the last uh, decade or so when was his last nomination it's been a while I feel he didn't even get it I mean I know the he didn't get it for he didn't Bridget. get one did he I don't think so. And Bridges Spies, Mark Rylance stole everything in that movie. So he didn't even get recognition for that. So, yeah. When was his last nomination? I got to look this up now. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing it right now. Uh, oh, we got a be- beautiful day in the neighborhood, I guess, two years ago. Oh, but yeah. That was... That was okay. Eh, I thought that was a very overrated movie. Not what I was expecting. But um, I guess outside of that, Castaway. Uh, I mean, look at been that long. Look at his period between '89 and 2001. You had Big, Philadelphia, and Forrest Gump. Of course, that he won. Saving Private Ryan, then Castaway, which I remember Castaway like he was a front runner for that. Then all of a sudden, yeah. freaking Russell beat him, right? So, um, yeah, but, but, uh, can we what do Castaway? Good film. Why haven't we oh, ever yeah. done Castaway? Wow. Wilson robbed of a nomination. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Anyway, best performance by volleyball goes to. Uh, that's tomorrow. Uh, like, subscribe, do all the things you hear at the end, and Oscar's ten-day streak nearly over. So uh, we're only a few days away from Brendan maybe winning. <laughs> Come on, Brendan, you can do it. Stop saying maybe. You're gonna jinx it. <laughs> from the root of confidence. Razor. From the root of Razor. you can do it, Brendan. Fucking do it. Uh. Uh, my name is Ben, and pew pew pew. I'm still German, and I'm killing. My name is Colin and I'm Weston Nix Nos! Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. Wow! 
For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. <laughs>